0: DVDs in Oakland, in Oakland. Now I'm
1: driving up the five, and she waits till I arrive in Oakland, in Oakland. Everything that I wanted, only gotta drive for the moment. If you tell me turn around, then I'm on it for the moment. But you know me, you know how I get when I'm lonely. I think about you in the moments, but everything you do is so Oakland, so Oakland. Foot on the gas. I'm just trying to pass all the red lights And the stop signs I'm ready to go Before I get to the baby that's a problem Cause I'm way too scared to call And you might give me a stay night. Oh yeah
0: I saw me growing old in the oakland, in the oakland And if I'm buried to here tonight, it will probably start a rise
2: Welcome to the Eastern Shore. I'm Brock Winstead. Today on the show, how do you tell a San Francisco audience about Oakland? Oaklanders can get very prickly about how our city is represented, how its story is told, or what parts of that story are emphasized, especially by people from elsewhere. Many of us roll our eyes whenever a new article purporting to tell people what's happening in Oakland. Shows up in a newspaper or magazine or website published in New York or London or even San Francisco. Maybe San Francisco most of all. Our eastern side of the bay has always defined itself in opposition to San Francisco. So, what do you do if your job is to cover Oakland to capture the story of our city for a publication with San Francisco right there in the name? That's what I asked my guest for this show. Rachel Swan is a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Her beat is Oakland and its neighboring inner East Bay cities. Rachel isn't some San Francisco interloper who dares to cross the Bay Bridge and tell us what our city is about. She grew up in Berkeley. She's lived in the East Bay her whole life. She wrote for the East Bay Express for about 10 years. She has her local bona fides, but her business card does say San Francisco Chronicle. And of course, the Chronicle has readers well beyond San Francisco. We talked about what it's like to cover the East Bay for the paper On the Opposite Shore, about how she does the work of reporting, and about how becoming a parent not that long ago changed the way she approaches her job. Here's Rachel Swan on the Eastern Shore. Rachel Swan, hello. Thank you for sitting down and talking with me. We are in a conference room in the offices of the San Francisco Chronicle. And this is a fairly new job for you at this point still, yeah? Yeah. How, when did you start with the Chronicle?
3: I started in March 2015.
2: So not quite six months. I'm a rookie. Yeah, but you're not a not a rookie to, to journalism. So I want to talk more about some of the work you did before you came to the Chronicle in a bit. But first, I have many questions about what it's like to cover Oakland and the East Bay for the paper on the other side of the bay. You, now, your beat is Oakland and kind of neighboring cities. How far does that extend for you?
3: I would say it's about 90 to 95% Oakland. The way I prefer to do it is to include as much as I can about Berkeley, which I think is a very important city uh, that a lot of longtime Chronicle sub- subscribers uh presumably reside in, Mm -hmm. or not presumably, do reside in. And um, also Richmond, which is a very important and very interesting, fascinating um, city for news right now, which also kind of has a news hole because, I, I mean, the Contra Costa Times covers Richmond, but Richmond doesn't really have its own nominal paper that isn't owned by, it has one that's owned by Chevron, but I don't really consider that a Metropolitan Daily. So as much as I can, I try to you know, at least have a passing understanding of the news cycle in Richmond and Berkeley. But you know, since I'm just one person, you know, I had to establish my beat mostly in Oakland and uh, mostly issues around Oakland City Hall, yeah, uh,
2: you know you say you're just one person. there are other people on staff here at the Chronicle who will end up who end up writing things about Oakland through some beat of or another, yeah, but you are. Kind of the general Oakland and Inner East Bay re- reporter. So when you started, not quite six months ago, did your editor just say, go find stories in the Inner East Bay, or were there, are there, some other guidelines within that general assignment?
3: Well, when I start, I was really lucky because when I started Oakland, I started the day that Oakland passed its new minimum wage law, which kind of lent itself to a spate of stories also I was I was a bit lucky because although my my um, editor did kind of we had a meeting I pitched her some blue story ideas she latched on to one of them very generally and said okay kind of go out and explore this and it down the line wound up being a story about um, how the minimum wage law was affecting child care centers mm-hmm. you know I was I was lucky because I had that kind of news line to latch on and it it was something that was a big enough news event in Oakland that it was worth covering for for a little while i mean it took me a while to get my first story in the paper why was that i think that was a matter of just you know i mean the way the chronicle has is under new leadership now i guess the editorial staff is kind of rearranging the beats so there used to be a more robust east bay bureau that was really the dedicated east bay bureau and I guess there was a period of attrition in that East Bay Bureau. And so I guess it, it was catch-as-catch-can for a while. And um, a lot of the kind of general interest San Francisco reporters who either live in the East Bay or love covering the East Bay were had kind of de facto taken on the Oakland beat. So I had to kind of establish myself among them. Yeah. And, I mean, I also, like, I'm someone who is groomed in the alt-weeklies, so, you know, I'm someone who likes to write soft leads and opine, and that kind of had to be bludgeoned out of me a bit. Um, (laughs) You know, I had to be whipped into shape, I guess.
2: Uh Stylistically, at least.
3: Yeah, and I had to, like, learn the chain of command and the politics. And I guess I would imagine that the New York Times newsroom is much more cutthroat, but, I mean, this is a Metropolitan Daily. You do have to lobby to get a story on the front page. You have to have an editor kind of pushing for you, and you have to, to some degree, sell it. And especially, you know, if you're writing for a San Francisco paper about the East Bay, you have to convince them that this issue in Oakland or Berkeley is, is worthy of the front page of a, of a paper that calls itself the San Francisco Chronicle.
2: So is there a chronicle way to cover the East Bay?
3: That's interesting. Well, so I guess, like, the, cr- the chronicle way of covering for the East Bay is, like, I-, I have a sense that my audience is largely based in the East Bay anyway, but I think you're writing for more of a general interest audience. You know, if you're writing about Richmond, you don't necessarily have to do a historical primer on Richmond, and, you know, this is the history of Richmond, and this is what Richmond is. Richmond is this other city that's north of San Francisco that, you know, you never heard about. But you, you can't start your story with the assumption that your readers attend all the Richmond City Council meetings, I guess. So I guess it, in some ways it is more of a, a general interest audience, you know.
2: So the fact that you're writing about the the Inner East Bay for the Chronicle guides, maybe how you frame any given story, but yeah. does it guide what you end up writing about? I mean, another way of asking this, you know, you talked about how it is a, a major Metro daily paper and you t- to get space in the paper you kind of have to sell the story yeah so what sells
3: i've noticed like a lot of a lot of the stories that i've had that have been more successful and i think this is partly you know what they were asking for when they hired me they stories that that kind of um hit at something that represents what's going on in oakland right now if that makes sense in 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 oakland like a lot of those stories wind up being about Buildings, (laughs) buildings. <laughs> you know, Henry J Kaiser Center, um like building with all this history has become this new battlefront. How is this a symbol of Oakland? How is the 580 divider a symbol of Oakland? So, I guess, you know, on the on the local level, stories that become kind of symbolic of of something larger that's happening in the city right now or stories that speak to something national Oakland is a very interesting city to cover things like race and protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and reactions to police, high-profile police shootings around the nation. So I think, like, the Chronicle aspires to be a part of these national conversations that are happening on Twitter every day, you know, and to like participate in that in some way, even if like, you know, for instance, the South Carolina shooting, I mean, there's no East Bay connection to that. But I think the day after that shooting, um, I went and talked to a bunch of people in Oakland. I did like a a reaction piece, you know, because those issues really resonate with people in Oakland.
2: So there's a, a sense that you have developed and probably are still developing of kind of what the chronicle editorially and what Chronicle readers yeah. want to read about, want to see coming out of the places that you cover. Yeah. But then how do you go and actually make that happen on the ground? So there's really yeah. a couple couple questions there. Like how are you finding the things that you're going to go report on is maybe the first one.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, I'm still building the beat, to be honest. What does you that know? mean? I'm a, a bit lucky because I used to work at the East Bay Express albeit in a completely different capacity. I mean, I'm now more of a City Hall investigative reporter. I used to write, like, light, fluffy, descriptive... Pretty stories for the east bay express and i, try, I often try to pitch those to The Chronicle because I think that 's one thing i 'm good at and, and they get rejected because it 's not that 's not a hard new city hall story that 's not going to be on the front page we don 't that 's for the style section <laughs> you know I, sometimes I want a vacation from city hall, so i 'll pitch those kind of things but even though I w- was less of a reporter at that paper, um, I did cultivate a lot of sources in Oakland that proved useful so I've come back to them now your best stories are going to come just from knowing a lot of people and constantly you know I mean everybody has their own issues and you're not necessarily going to like call someone up in the morning and they're going to give you a, a good balanced story that you can then pitch to your editor but I think the best way to get original story ideas is to have like a rapport with you know various city council people various activist type people, various people who can never have their names in the paper because they're hated by City Hall, you know, various people who own nightclubs in Oakland, you know, I felt like I'd kind of gotten that down at the East Bay Express and I'm building it up again, you know, I guess some people, like, in the corporate real- world, you'd call it building a Rolodex or yeah. whatever, but it's, you know, you just having people who can kind of constantly feed the beast and you know pitch you ideas and tell you you know there's this conflict with Oakland I'm working on an Oakland for first Friday story today so ah, i mean like right. i think like that's that's the best way for any journalist to get stories i mean
2: assembling a a, a network of relationships that will bubble things up to you and exactly. then you may go look at them and and End up, you know, writing a, a different story than maybe the one they wanted told. Yeah. but people that will at least put things on your radar.
3: Yeah, I mean, like the cheat sheet way of doing that is to have like a Twitter. I mean, I obviously I have a Twitter Oakland Twitter list. You're on it, mm. but you know, people will harangue on Twitter about various things. And yeah. One of my, yeah, probably one of my best stories of this year came because someone was mouthing off about something on Twitter, and I said, what are you talking about? Like, something piqued my interest. He got way in. I don't think I wrote the story that he wanted, but he wound up turning me on to something that I could then send public records requests about. So I think that's the cheat sheet way of doing it is to, like, go on social media and find out who's talking about Oakland and what conversations are happening about Oakland, and then that'll give you clues as to what you should look into. But, I mean, I think that, the live like person to person network is also equally important. Yeah. I think what I'm trying to do now is like get a better understanding of the individual neighborhoods, especially the ones that I haven't lived in and just kind of on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, know what they look like and what, I, cause it's kind of interesting. Like Oakland's divided up into seven districts and they each have their own issues. <laughs> So I mean, the issues that are really important to Montclair obviously are very different from the issues that are really important to the Fruitvale. So while it, while it's difficult to sell a parochially Fruitvale-based story to the San Francisco Chronicle, I mean, it's in in service of the larger to the larger conversation about Oakland. I think right. it's important to have that context of like, you know, the councilman in Fruitvale really cares about blight, and this is. This is why that's a big issue in Fruitvale, but whereas garbage fees are a big issue in Montclair, or You know, I, I have to be kind of an omnivorous media consumer too, and I have to keep track of what the other local papers are writing about. And I do read the East Bay Express every week. I do read the Oakland Tribune quite a lot. I read my my counterpart at the Tribune is Mike Blasky, and I read his stuff and. You know, and I read the San Francisco Business Times because they cover a lot of housing development in Oakland. I kind of made that into like a de facto sub area to focus on because I think that's a big deal right now. So you know, I'm not always first to a story, but that's okay. I mean, I'm used to not being first to to a story because I'm an alt weekly person. So you know, but if you're not first to a story, then maybe you can offer a fresh angle on it or dig into something that somebody else didn't really. That was only a a passing mention in another article
2: then again there's this there's the second question of if if a dozen things land on your doorstep at the beginning of the day what wins how do you decide what actually ends up being worth your time to dig into and write about
3: I'll be honest so a lot of it is personal interest like what I personally think is a good story can I just give you some examples at the risk of I hope I don't Offend people here. I mean, like, like for instance, uh, the city of Oakland was aggressively pitching me Art and Soul last week, which I think is Art and Soul is a great festival. I love Art and Soul. I love attending Art and Soul. However, I just I I was all weekly reporter when all Art and Soul started. I've written like year after year, I've written the same puffy story about Art and Soul. I mean, I just the story was it's happening. It's great for Oakland. It's putting Oakland on the map. You know, I like really I, like in two thousand five, I was writing about. Oakland's economic boom, which ostensibly was happening then with art and soul, you know, and like now we're filing now that's finally become kind of like a line in the guard, the UK guardian. I mean, Oh, Oakland's having its economic boom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so I just, I was weary of that storyline and I just, you know, I, I think the editors had delegated it to be like a, a photo essay and I was, I thought that was sufficient. You know, I just, you know, so me personally, like I like drama, I like controversies. For me personally, and I guess this is also just from a per- perspective of someone who's worked in newsrooms and had to sell stories, there have been times when someone will pitch a profile of a public figure and I'll just say, you know, he just just sounds like a stand-up guy. I'm not that interested. You know, I like to, where's the drama? I want to take down the bad guys you know there needs I, to be
2: a, th- a third dimension to yeah
3: this story. i like i like stories that have drama i like stories that have tension i like stories about someone or something's ambitions being their own undoing i like stories where uh, you can easily lead the reader to judgment you know without having to cast judgment i just so that's that's kind of like what i look for you know, and then there are certain, certain themes in um, Oakland that I guess the Chronicle wants to cover a lot. Protest movements, housing. Do you end
2: up having to look at crime stories?
3: You know, I've only done one or two crime stories here. Um, we have a crime reporter who's quite awesome, who kind of spreads himself thin all over the East Bay, Henry Cayley. Right. Um, he's indefatigable if i pronounce that word right he's he's fantastic i only worked with him on one crime story i actually quite enjoyed it although it was a very sad crime story and that was about a murder the murder of a young mother in mm. um west oakland yeah. the one thing i don't particularly like about those those crime breaking news stories is like they require um and this, this is just this is just me speaking on a personal level um they require you to, you to do like some of the most uncomfortable things I think in reporting.
2: Like talking to victims' families.
3: Finding victims' families, being intrusive when they've just had someone shot. I, I once had to do an emergency room stakeout where I had to like ask families in Spanish if they were there for the right car accident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Stuff that feels as a human, you feel yeah. horrible that you're doing it. So and that's the kind of things that great breaking news reporters have to do all the time, even knocking on doors in a neighborhood. Um, some people like love that part of the job. I think that's my least favorite.
2: given all that context about how you cover your beat and what guides your reporting, let's talk about some of the things you actually have reported on uh, again, personally speaking, what to you have been? Some of the more compelling stories that you've covered in the still, I think, relatively short time that you've been working this beat for the Chronicle.
3: I actually found that first story. I mean, I was just, I, I played a bit part in that first story about um, Shamil Pierce, who was murdered in West Oakland, but I thought that was a fascinating story. Because that was a story that was, it was a story about a very sad shooting, but it was also sto- a story about a changing neighborhood. Because it turned out that um, there was a gang in the neighborhood, um, but the neighborhood is also, that particular part of West Oakland is changing quite a lot. It's starting to get gentrified, and a lot of the new people who were moving in were the ones who were calling the police to complain about the shootings that were happening in the area, and they, they complained that they'd made 911 calls on the day of the shooting and that the police had been unresponsive. Um, And I think we found out in our second day of reporting that the people kind of who'd been in the neighborhood a long time um, had this sense of resignation about the shootings and the crime that happened in the neighborhood. So there was this kind of clash of cultures, you know, you saw and like the reaction to the shooting. I mean, there was like a new, a group of newcomers who wanted to clean up the neighborhood and then there were there was this group of people who'd been there a long time. Who kind of thought that this tragedy was just like a part of life? It was a story that 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 was originally about one thing and sort of became about a, a different thing, like a larger, larger thing. And um, you know, I've done a series of stories about that 12, East 12th Street parcel. I mean, a lot of people have been covering that. There's like a a parcel of public land on um, East 12th Street and 2nd Avenue by Lake Merritt that's in dispute because... Um,
2: and this is the parcel plan that was kind of uh, created in a sense or left over yeah. from the reconfiguration of, of the streets at the bottom of the lake.
3: There. Exactly, exactly. And it was sort of promised to this one developer who wanted to turn it into market-rate housing, who is somewhat of a prominent and very politically connected East Bay developer... Uh, So uh, I was not the only person covering that story, and I was not the first person covering that story. Um, You know, Darwin Bongram at the East Bay Express has actually done excellent work on that story um, and was the first person to uncover. I I think he really, like, steered the conversation at City Hall on that story, uh, his coverage. But that was, like, a very interesting and complicated story about a land deal deal that became symbolic of so many other things that are happening in oakland it was it became like an almost abstract argument um over like who had rights to this one piece of land and you know who deserved to build there and who should be coming into the neighborhood i mean it almost became part of this larger conversation in the city about like who the city is for
4: yeah you
2: said earlier, you know, you, you, you come from a, a background of, well, for one thing, working for an alt-weekly for a decade or more.
3: Yeah. At the, at the weeklies, um, I used to write a lot of, like, when I was, I was at the SF Weekly for about a year, a year and a half, and I used to write a lot of cover stories, and we kind of, it was just a completely different beast. You know, it was kind of a place where we could um, be more experimental, and write about almost philosophical things like we had a sf weekly um you know we're struggling to kind of add to this ongoing conversation in san francisco about tech and you know tech companies despoiling the city and the new wealth that was coming in and how that was transforming san francisco but you know we uh, we're a weekly you know and we have to we have to find a way to cover that that's going to add to the conversation, but we're not taking ourselves too seriously. You know, so we did, like, a perpetual adolescence issue, which I thought was just kind of, like, that's the kind of thing I love to do. Like, why is everyone wearing plaid? You know, there's a stupid story about plaid in the office, but it was, like, supposed to speak to this larger thing. Or, you know, we did a story about, like, office parties that were candy-themed or something. Just, like, these stupid trends that were kind of... Indicative of larger issues in the city sure. of, like, I would love to write those kind of stories here, but I haven't really found a way in yet. Yeah. You
2: know? so, so here, at, you, you, for the Chronicle, you have to focus more on here is the event that happened and yeah. kind of what it might mean, how it's connected to these larger trends. For the weeklies, you could write more about the trends themselves or about yeah. the issue.
3: Like, my, one of my favorite stories at SF Weekly was a story about electric skateboards. That was very actually even hard to pitch at the weekly it was It was about all the new boosted boards that we see on Market Street, and kind of like in a way it started off as kind of like well, let's just write like a, a fun little like snarky piece about how silly these things are, you know, because like anyone who grew up in the nineties remembers like skateboards being this different kind of feral thing, and here they all are all like this is like the gentrification of the skateboard, you know, like you have like these skateboards that that Google executives really love, and like and then that turned into a larger story about the history of skateboards in San Francisco and how skateboards kind of, came, kind of came around from being this, like, this feral thing that had to be policed to being, like, the shock troops of gentrification. So, I mean, that honestly was, like, a hard story to pitch at the SF Weekly. I had to, like, really push that, that angle of, oh, this is a symbol of something that we should be talking about, but we can say it through the lens of this skateboard story. Um, And I think that would be a harder story to push at a daily. So you were at the
2: San Francisco Weekly for about a year and a half, you said. Yeah. And before that, you were at the East Bay Express for about 10 years, something like that. Yeah. I know you're (laughs) you're from the East Bay. You grew up in Berkeley and went to college there. Yes. You talked earlier about having, you know, you're working to build the beat, build your beat for the Chronicle. But you did spend a decade, not that long ago, Covering at least some facets of the East Bay for the Express. Yes. What were you writing about mostly for in, in those, across those 10 years?
3: Uh, mostly I started out as a clubs editor at the East Bay Express. I was living in Oakland. I had a quote. I was mostly writing music articles about local bands, you know, and I, it was kind of a, a dumb job that they turned into like a part staff writing job you know, like it was jiggered so that I could be sort of a writer at the paper wall. So doing some of the grunt work of like the club's listings, that's essential, but less glamorous. I spent a lot of it writing, like flitting around from one kind of culturally calendar writing position to another. I eventually got just older and, you know, I'm a suburban mother now so like I (laughs) I got I got weary of I I don't think I'm the person to go out and review local bands anymore I'd feel really silly if I still did that um I'm glad that I eventually transitioned into being like a city hall reporter and something that I can age a bit with a bit more dignity um (laughs) you know I one thing I will say for that is like um I got to observe Oakland's art scene in like more of its like incipient stages, you know? So I started at the East Bay Express around 2004-2005 when Oakland first had, I mean, like an art murmur. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, that's that wound up being very important to the city's current economic boom in a roundabout way, right? Yeah. The so even though I was covering things from more of a culturally type standpoint, I got to see a lot of these Or I was paying attention to a lot of these historical benchmarks that, you know, are now a good reference point. Like, it's good to know, to have that, have a knowledge of what Oakland's downtown corridor looked like 10 years ago. You know, I think if, even if I'm covering it from a different standpoint now, if I'm covering, like, now I'm covering it from more of a standpoint of, like, who's building there, who's getting the city contracts, who's frittering away money, you know. But... I know what used to be there, you know, like, oh, this area that's slated for condos used to be this nightclub that I covered for this other reason. Um, So, yeah, I mostly covered the art scene primarily in Oakland, and I lived in Oakland for quite a long time, you know. And then I think I slowly transitioned into news just out of fatigue. (laughs) And and because I think, like, at a certain point you build up enough kind of Clout at, the alt, at an alt-weekly that you can demand that they change your beat to make it more interesting.
2: <laughs> so, okay, you, you know, you have been writing about some aspect of Oakland and the Inner East Bay covering the area as a journalist for better than a decade, um, but for different publications with, with different approaches. Yeah. Do you find yourself now, you know, still talking to some of the same people that you talked about, I mean, that you talked to as sources in your express days. Yes. And how do, how has the, have those relationships changed? Do the, do they regard you differently because you are uh, nominally coming from the other side of the bay?
3: Yes and no. People remember me from the East Bay Express, and I'm I'm not saying like I was like a, a legend or whatever, but they just you know they remember the name. Sure. You know, I mean, maybe maybe that's a bad thing, but it's like a way to. Because I, I feel like sometimes if, if people don't know who I am and then I say I'm from the San Francisco Chronicle and I'm also new at the San Francisco Chronicle, I mean, I have like zero credibility, right? You know, it's like I'm presenting myself as like this rookie who's from an an outsider paper in this like wealthy city across the bay, you know, who has like... Only a passing understanding of where Oakland is, so often I'll just say, "You, you might remember me from the East Bay Express, you know, or I used to be this like funky hipster or whatever, you know, like so." I mean, and then people will say, "Oh yeah, you, you know, you used to cover the music, you know, right. or I hated you, you know, so like, so yeah." I mean, I, I think, and then and some people don't remember me, and I'm glad, I'm glad they don't. I mean, you know, like, so yeah. I mean, like, and some of the people I used to use as sources have moved on themselves and kind of moved up in whatever realm of the community they had so we respect that we're both in different positions now and you know you try to I don't know I guess try to try to take that into account but I I, I think like more often than not saying that I spent a long time working for an alt weekly that specifically that mostly covered Oakland is is Gives me more street cred than than saying I, I, I work for a San Francisco paper now. You know, like I'll often use that like more to help establish a rapport
2: right.
3: with somebody. A lot of my sources now are city council people, and um, the makeup of, of the city council has changed since I was at the Express, and I didn't interact with them all that much when I was at the Express because I wasn't a political reporter, and the administration has changed. So, I mean, there is there is sometimes kind of a built-in expectation that I'll do the same kinds of stories I wrote at the Express, like the Art and Soul story. I yeah. mean, if I were more if I more had the had the reputation of being like a hard nosed investigative reporter, then I don't think they would have been pushing me so hard to write the uh, Oakland is is changing and isn't this a wonderful festival story. But that's that's fine. I mean. You know, I mean, they have to sell that story. Sure. (laughs) It's their job to say, look at us,
2: this is important. And then then your job is to decide how you spend your time. Exactly. Just a few minutes ago, you described yourself as a suburban mom now, which is bound to be a reductive description. But uh, (laughs) how many kids?
3: I just have one kid. No. A daughter.
2: Tell me about your daughter.
3: Really? Yeah, really. I have a a daughter. Uh, She is almost eight months old. And I'm learning the ropes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. So eight
2: months, she has no idea what what mom does for a living.
3: No, she doesn't talk Yeah, of course.
2: (laughs) Um, Has having a child changed the way you look at reporting?
3: It's definitely changed the way I spend my time. You know, I, I used to be someone who would report at all hours and would kind of go to meetings at night if I felt that it would advance the reporting yeah i just don't have the time to do that anymore and i i really think that reporters should do that i think reporters should be i well the la- the labor union part of me thinks that reporters should just work 9 to 5 <laughs> sure. you know the union made part of me thinks that uh-huh. reporters should have yeah. decent jobs and just work 9 to 5 but you know the the reporter part of me thinks that reporters should be on call 24/7 and they should do whatever they can to advance a story and that they shouldn't shut off at 5.30. I mean, when, when you have a young kid, you don't really have a choice.
2: Right. The baby has her own hours.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so that, that part has changed, certainly. I mean, it's also, I would say reporting on shootings is different when you're a parent. You know, the first story I covered for the Chronicle was the shooting of a mother who was trying to protect her kids. You know, I don't think I would have had the visceral reaction to the I'm mean not not to say that I wasn't an empathic person before I had a kid, sure. but it's just a different it's a different kind of report or the thing that I mean, I didn't recover the Santa recent Santa Cruz kidnapping, but I just I found that story both just kind of numbing and devastating and at the same time captivating in a way that I might not have had I just been a like had it even just been last year when I was just pregnant and didn't know what it was like to have a kid. So I think the way I react to certain kinds of news is different. I'll often, people I'm interviewing, I don't tell them too much about my personal life, but, you know, I might tell them I have a kid, you know, if it helps, you know, um, or ask if they have a kid. (laughs) You know, it's a big part of people's lives. Um, This developer of the uh, East 12th Street parcel, who I've written, I don't think I've been as damning as some other reporters, you know, but I have written some... Uh, what could be deemed very harsh stories about him. But he has a very adorable child, and I took him out to lunch, and we there was a moment when we talked about our kids, <laughs> shared pictures of our kids. It's At the end of the day, it's like we're both humans. The The interviews we were talking about earlier, you know, the interviews that are particularly hard when you have to stake out a, an emergency room or, like, find to confront a victim's family, or, you know, occasionally it helps... Oh,
2: it's not as simple as um, yeah. Oh, you have a kid. I have a kid. We're the same. They'll tell me everything. No. <laughs> it's not like it unlocks it's all the like doors. It's not like that,
3: but it. I guess it's helped me be a little more empathic. Like it gives me a sense of it gives me a sense of the gravity. Like if you see a, a mother who has outside of an emergency room who has just found out that she's lost her child, I think that until you become a parent, it's hard to have an understanding of like the gravity of that situation and whether it's appropriate to approach that person or not. So, I mean, I think it has given me different instincts as a reporter.
2: At the same time that it has, of necessity, limited the amount of like, nights and weekends that you can devote totally. to the job. I mean, in some sense, that is a, that's a universal story because women in particular, yeah, m- many women uh, find that having a child Really directly affects the amount of time they can spend on the job and affects their career prospects. Yeah, this is not as much a problem for men.
3: I think with journal, I mean, I, I've never had another career. Right. This this is like a very careerist field. It's not very. It's very competitive. It's not very high paying. It's a craft. It's something that you. Yeah, like, like okay, so my husband is, like, a web designer for a living. And, I mean, his his job is, is like, a craft, too. But he also has his kind of... <laughs> he does, like, a little programming project on the sides. He's into, like, painting... Squ- pro- doing this program that paints squares. It's super weird. I don't get it. He's showing it to me all the time, and he's very excited, and I don't understand. You know? <laughs> but it's kind of like, okay, this is your creative outlet. You know, like, you... Write this script that makes a lot of squares and like you, sh- it's just this is your art, you know, or whatever. I, I'm not explaining, not making it sound like art, but it's <laughs> like it's like his little thing that he does, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, I
2: mean, it could be it could be photography. Yeah, yeah,
3: his thing happens to be writing scripts that make squares. It used to be triangles. He goes through the. <laughs> like, I guess that means pentagons, through- or this yeah. like my-
2: is like this is like a Mensa test where I have to tell what the next item I in the know, pattern right? is.
3: <laughs> but like for people like you and me maybe our craft is also our job you know so it's something that i liked if i had my druthers i might work 50 60 hours a week at it just cuz i want to be the i want to get better i want to be the best i want to be on the front page all the time you know i want to write really great pieces you know and i think i think like a lot of my friends are these other kind of careerist women who uh, I don't know. I, f- I felt a bit isolated when I had a kid, even though like a lot. Of, one one camp of my friends is having kids, and the other cr- camp is like really furthering their careers. And I almost felt like I made that Sophie's choice. You know, it's just it's just uh, maybe that's a bad term, but you know, I, yeah, I know it just um, <laughs> it's. I, I was really lucky to get this job, but it's hard to be the same kind of careerist. It's hard to like take sources out for drinks all the time. You know, it's kind of altered the way I do the job.
2: I don't think we have any friends with kids where either parent can just say, I'm not working now. You know, some people can yeah. do that and that's and, and fine for them.
3: And it's, and that's not just an economic decision too. Cause it's like, for right. me, like there was a brief point when I thought, you know, like maybe I want to be, a. I don't know. I was like, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. at right. least
2: entertain the possibility.
3: Yeah. You know, I just, like, I wasn't even thinking of it financially. I was just yeah. thinking, you know, I want to be a part of my kid's life. And after 10 weeks, I was like, no, after 7 weeks, I was like, I need to get back to work. Yeah. I just, I'm like, <laughs> I felt horrible about it. No, I, but it's just I'm very, I love to work. <laughs> and I've known you know? plenty of
2: people that way who, who yeah. like, I can't be a stay-at-home mom. I can't. It's just the, not me. I can't not have this thing that I pour at least some part of myself into. Yeah. Um, do you ever uh, have you ever been tempted to like grab grab the daughter and say, "All right, we got to go to a night meeting. Let's go." You and oh me. my
3: god! Yeah, all the time. I, I've taken her on uh, little. It's yeah. I've taken <laughs> I've taken her on easy interviews. You know. Yeah, sure. It's just, just like I wanted to do something on a weekend and like I didn't know how else to do it, so I've like. Yeah, as glamorous as it sounds, you can't really work and 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 be a good parent at the same time. You know, and I think both my husband and I realized that, you know, from from trial and error. Sure. You know, so yeah, it's it's a trade-off. I remember talking to I remember talking to people about this before before I even decided to have uh to be a parent. I mean, I want to have another child too. I think you have to accept that you might not go as far in your career as you, as you would otherwise, you know.
2: Was there a time when you thought, you know, my goal is to go be the the White House correspondent for the New York Times or, or something like that?
3: You know, I don't know if I'm that super aspirational. So, I mean, it, maybe that's one of my downsides is, like, when I got the job at the San Francisco Chronicle, I felt like I, well, I, actually, when I got the job at the East Bay Express, it was $27,000 a year, and I was elated I lived in an apartment in West Oakland, and I was single, and I didn't have a car, and I rode my stupid skateboard everywhere, and I was elated. I felt like I have made it, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I was like, and it was just like, I, I guess I haven't, I haven't set the bar very high in some respects, you know. I'm like one of those people who maybe this is why I haven't left. Just like when I was in seventh grade, like my goal was to live in a co-op at Cal because I thought they were so cool. And then I got to do that and, you know, that I felt like I'd made it. So, I mean, it's just like, I think if I raise my daughter and hopefully, whatever son or daughter that comes after her, like to the best of my ability and continue covering Oakland and hopefully write some good stories about Oakland and, you know i'm not a complete hack then uh i think i'll be happy you know i mean i think like i'm happy like keeping one beat i'm happy getting to know one city really well I'd like to write more stories about richmond cuz i think it's fascinating and i also live closer to richmond now you know i mean i think i i think i've gotten to the point where i have to set very realistic goals for myself and i mean i don't like i don't even think like having children necessarily like I think it's not, it's not even a trade-off in terms of like, oh, it, it thwarts your ascension. Like maybe I one day wanted to ascend to like, I don't know, what, LA Times or whatever the next paper would be. Like, I mean, maybe it's thwarted that. But I mean, for me, it's like the goal is always just to spend more time reporting and get to know the beat really well and write better stories. And I mean, to some sense, I'm a little bit compromised because like now I have this other thing that I have to take care of. And I mean, that's... For me, that's new because I always just looked out for myself and like did my journalism, and that's what I did. So I guess having a having another resp- <laughs> having another responsibility is new. Well, it yeah. certainly makes it harder it's to a,
2: skateboard to story, right? You know, to, to
3: meetings, <laughs> yeah. Do
2: they have skateboard trailers for babies yet?
3: Oh God! <laughs> I really hope my daughter doesn't skateboard. Maybe I'm it's time petrified. to invest in one of those boosted boards. I know. Makes I don't it a I I I didn't know I would turn out to be such an overprotective parent. I'm like such an overprotective.
2: I think there is something about it that people people never know what kind of parent they're going to be uh, yeah. until they're a parent. And again, yeah. i get to say that as an outsider, but again, I'm I'm watching these people up close and they're sort of learning Yeah. all about themselves in the, like, yeah. the first year or two or whatever. You learn about yourself for the rest of your life probably, but in that first year of parenting like I did not know that I would be this way about this
3: thing. Yeah.
2: Hmm. So I didn't expect the conversation to go in that direction. I didn't know you had a child when I walked oh, in. I yeah. appreciate you being willing to talk about it with
3: me. <laughs> I love talking about my children. <laughs> I love talking about, like, raising a family. Because I, I, it really is, like, it can be a bit isolating. You um, start a family. And I, I had all these, like, cool, like, single friends before who were in media and, like, yeah. were traveling and doing all this cool stuff and i think i became the one who was sort of domestic so
2: and you said you very very definitely want to have a, a second child
3: yeah Did you grew up in a big family no it was just four yeah. yeah which
2: seems like the right number to you
3: i would like to have three but i i'm i think i will be roundly there is the <laughs> not allowed to do that pro- yeah, issue, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Rachel Swan, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me about all kinds of things.
3: Yeah, it was a pleasure.
2: Rachel Swan is the Oakland and East Bay reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. You can find her stories in print, of course, and at sfchronicle.com. And she's on Twitter at Rachel Swan. That's Rachel with one L. If you've got tips about dramatic doings in the East Bay, let her know. If you have tips about East Bay people I should talk to for this show, let me know. I'm on Twitter, probably too much, at Brock Winstead. Or you can email easternshoreshow at gmail.com. Unlike the Chronicle, this podcast no longer publishes a print edition, but we are online at tespodcast.com. Head over there to check out the other interviews I've done with people who are helping to tell and create and understand the story of Oakland and the East Bay. You can subscribe to the show there. It's also on iTunes and Stitcher, but you will always find our breaking news first at TESpodcast.com. This has been The Eastern Shore. I have been, and no matter what you might have read in the papers, continue to be Brock Winstead. Thank you for listening.
0: I'm going back. To-
4: Back against the wall, or just across the line. If you've been standing in the rain, reciting nursery rhymes, trying to recall some long-lost kind of peace of mind, peace of mind. Try spending the night sometimes, all over in a frozen room. After need you blame, you settle in the rain. I dreamed that like got up down in my basement And he waited there for me to have this accident So he could drink my wine and eat me like a sacrament I just stood there like I do and Then I came and went, I came and went Like a bird before in the sky I couldn't even say goodbye i come and share the pain My saddle's in the right If I'm his friend just yet His eyes and the mouth were widely open And his jaw was set Like he would fell off a cliff And hadn't hit the bottom yet I wish he wouldn't Pull those things on me Without a net Without a net I had him up to the house one time but We was having a real good time and Then he went lame He settled in the rain Not too far from the Alamo Since a girl who stole my records very long ago And she wishes once and washes out those dirty clothes As she shuts her eyes and dreams about the one-eyed Joe One-eyed Joe A car parked on a dirty road Heaven knows the load she pulled Couldn't take the strain saddle in the rain